You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. New 42 is a leading nonprofit with a mission to make performing arts a vital part of everyone's life from the earliest years onward. Through their signature projects, the New Victory Theater and New 42 Studios, New 42 serves artists, educators, and New Yorkers of all ages with invaluable arts engagement and resources related to the performing arts. I'm so thrilled today to have New 42's president and CEO, Russell Granite, and New 42's newest board member, fashion designer and icon, Isaac Mizrahi, both here with me today. Isaac, Russell, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Hi. So happy to be here. Thank you for having us. This is so much fun. Um, I'm going to start the ball rolling with a couple sort of rapid fire questions just to get to know you. Um, a lot of times I've had people on my podcast that I know really well, but I don't know either of you. So this is a way for us to get to know each other a little bit. So I'm going to start with you, Isaac. Okay. Um, it's just right off the top of your head. Okay. Three adjectives that describe yourself. Surprising, um, solidly built, and um, uh, 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 funny. <laughs> you are funny. Um, your first or favorite Broadway show? Well, I think my favorite, I think the favorite, the best thing I ever saw in my life was the first production of um, of uh, the Tony Kushner play, Angels in America. I think that was like the best thing I ever saw in, in, on live, you know, sort of in my time. The first show I ever saw, I can't even remember, I have to say, because, you know, I'm from Brooklyn and my parents used to take us to the theater a lot. I remember the first show I ever saw by myself when I was 12 and I took the subway to see it and I didn't tell anyone. I just bought a ticket for the, you know, like the bleat, like all the way the nosebleed seats. And that was a revival of this play called Irene, which starred at the time Betty, uh, Betty, um, uh, um, oh, um, Carrie Fisher's mother. What's her name again? Debbie Reynolds. It starred Debbie Reynolds. And it was great. I remember it was such a great day and I felt so free <laughs> because I figured out the subway by myself. And, yeah, it was really good. 
What a great memory. Um, so I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but you also come from a performing arts background. So I would love to know the name of a show that you did and the role you had in that show when you were in performing arts school. Oh, I mean, you know, Hamlet. How does that, how does that hmm. grab you? Um, well, I, I wow, know, that grabs it, me. It was a reach. for Yeah, exactly. Actually, I say that all the time, and this is part of the <laughs> mission here. It's like if you learn... Hamlet at 13 or something, you know, you're not afraid of anything. That just prepares you for life, you know. Um, a few different shows. I was actually, I was Touchstone and As You Like It, which was the, you know, the spring drama festival when I graduated. And um, and, mm. and I and I don't know if you've ever seen Fame, the movie Fame. It's really an old movie by Alan Parker. And I'm in the um, audition sequence doing my monologue, one of the monologues from As You Like It and this kind of jester hat and this little jester staff that I made. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to pivot now to you, Russell. Um, what's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Mm, me too. What job would you be terrible at? We know what job you're good at, which is the one you have right now, but what job would you be terrible at? I think any kind of construction job where I would have to like lift heavy objects. Okay. Um, what do you most give a damn about? I know it's because I'm. we're talking about it today, but it, it really is what drives me that the arts are for everybody. Not to sound Pollyanna, but it really is what I wake up every day thinking about. I like that. And speaking of today, what are you most grateful for today? my daughter. Oh, nice. All right. It's a beautiful thing. So Isaac, I'm going to go back to you. And I'm so fashion designer, icon on the board of a performing arts organization. How did that come to be? Um, well, you know, I mean, I, um, I love the performing arts. I, practice in the performing arts. I, I um, you know, I perform a lot around different venues and I've been directing and designing for the theater for so long. But I think the reason that I'm on this board is because it's a mission that really speaks to me directly. You know, um, I feel like um, the arts shaped my life. I was born knowing that art was very, very important to me and that I was an artist. And I was kind of born into, I would say, a very difficult situation. It was this kind of Orthodox Jewish thing where like I went to yeshiva and shul and all of that. And that wasn't really um, pleasantly received. I was not pleasantly received by that kind of community. And by, you know, even, I mean, I loved my family, but they didn't know what to make of me. And it wasn't until I, I just, I wasn't until I was discovered by a teacher at Yeshiva Flappish who said, you know what, you probably shouldn't be going to this school. You need to go to like some other art school. And what about performing arts high school, which is on 46th street. And by the, by the way, that's a public facility that's available to all, you know, and I, you know, kind of worked with this teacher and got the audition and convinced my parents to go, to let me go and went. And it really changed my life, right? I mean, I went from this very terrifying sort of parochial little background of being ostracized and bullied by, you know, rabbis, not just my peers, but like my parents' mm. friends, you know, right? Everyone, right? Um, 
to this crazy, wonderful, beautiful environment of this art school, you know, this performing arts school. And, uh, and mm-hmm. it really made, I can think, I think back on those days as the days when I really kind of discovered who I was as an individual, not just as an artist. And I feel like that needs to be on the table. That needs to be available to everyone, that experience, you know, of finding of finding art, like even if you're not an artist, I think all kids need exposure to it, you know. And that's why I'm I've decided to be be on the board of this of this the new new Forty Second Street. I couldn't agree with you more. And it was a long. I answer. was also re- sorry. No, no, no. So it was it was it was a great <laughs> answer, and I think it's important that we understand your background and how that helped form who you are today, and how the arts help form who you are today. And I think you're right too because. I mean, I'm not an, an artist, but I, am, I appreciate it. And I grew up with parents who thought the arts were really important. And so they exposed me to the arts more as a fan, but it also helped define who I am. Um, so I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And Russell, talking about the importance of arts education and access and equity to those arts, how, does, how do you feel about that? And how does New 42 embody those qualities? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's great hearing Isaac's story. You know, I would say that, you know, I grew up in a house that supported the arts. They were uh, big patrons of the arts. We, we, we were, you know, out and about on a regular basis. At school, I was a good student. I wasn't necessarily a great student. But the thing is, I didn't test well. And my, I got very anxious around tests. And my mom, I'm the youngest of five kids, and my mother identified that and much like Isaac's experience, identified a school where she thought I would really excel. And it was a school that understood that the whole child is important, not just the right brain or the left brain. And, and it was a school that understood portfolio, understood alternative kinds of assessment for young people. So that's every day what we talk about at New 42. New York City is the largest school system, public school system in the United States. We have 1.1 million kids, 1,800 schools in the system. And there's an equity. We have, you know, we know high-performing schools have arts programs. We know that many schools that are low-performing don't have the arts programs. Why is that? And what can we do about that? Um, our goal is to ensure, and, and you said it in the beginning, that every child has exposure to high-quality art in dance, music, theater, and visual art, and that it is a basic human right, and it's mm. not a privilege. And we have to change that paradigm. Right. I mean, can I just say one thing that occurs to me, which is listening to Russell, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure who in the world says that every single kid needs to take math or science or something. I mean it, like I'm not just mm. joking now. I think mm. so much more important than math or science, every single kid in the world needs to be exposed to art. All kinds of art, but I think especially, you know, performing arts. I mean that. Like, I think that should come before we expose people to, like, silly maths that they'll never use. (laughs) I mean that. Algebra, like, do you ever refer to algebra? And yet, you know, I don't know. I think most of us refer to, 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 to Chekhov or something or Shakespeare or something every single day. So, and I'm, and I know it sounds a little bit silly, but I mean it. Not at all to me. I wish someone had thought that when I was younger too. Um, You know, it's the STEM versus STEAM, right? You know, it's adding in that arts component. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think you're absolutely right. You know, I always think about it too. Like, I 
later in life, I took some acting classes. Um, and I realized that the concept of improv, of saying yes and and being in the moment and all that stuff was really the philosophy of my life that I was living. And whether you're just standing up in front of the PTA and giving a speech or whether you're an actor you know, on a stage, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. Having that basis for some of the arts education philosophies and, um, and, and, and practices helps you in whatever you do. So I couldn't agree more. I spend a lot of time uh, with principals, and one of my questions for principal is, "Tell me who graduates the school. You know, what? What? Tell me the qualities uh, of of the child who graduates, or tell me the qualities you would like the children to have." And inevitably, they say, "You know, I want them to stand tall. I want mm-hmm. them to have a strong handshake, make eye contact, understand that there are multiple solutions to problems, understand that if you fail, you can learn from that and succeed." And they come up with these great attributes for these young people, and then I say, which is a little bit of a setup. Well, show me where they're getting that in the curriculum. I'm just curious, where does that match with what they're doing from nine to three every day? And, and oftentimes they can't. And it is the arts. I mean, it's, it is, and it's not that it doesn't exist in other areas. Of course it does. But it is, it is what happens in an art classroom. It's what a blank canvas does for a young person. It's what an empty stage does for a dancer or an actor. It just gives you the skills to imagine a better life. And that's, I think, all we can ask for kids as they graduate school, especially after a 15-month of a global national health you know, pandemic. I mean, it's what you want to be able to give kids. Well, speaking of that, I was going to go there, the whole pandemic thing. Um, so how has New 42 pivoted during this pandemic? Um, and what's your vision you know, moving forward? Has the pandemic helped inform a new way forward for you? Yeah, I think arts organizations that understood this was an opportunity and not hold your breath until the pandemic's over are going to fare much better. Um, we shut our offices down March 13th, much like the rest of the world. And as a as a group of colleagues, many of us have young kids. Many of us were thinking about what happens to our teachers on Monday, the kids running around in the background. Teachers are also parents. Parents are also you know professionals. What is, what is Monday going to look like? And we came up with a program that weekend called Arts Break. And we, you know, people use our website for lots of, you know, for resources and tools and to buy, um, you know, to look at, uh, to buy tickets. Uh, the, the interesting thing is we've launched Arts Break Monday. So this so shut down on Friday, Monday the 16th, we launched Arts Break. By Thursday, we had something like 25,000 people participating. Wow. We're now 15 months later and we're hovering around a million. So here we have a situation where in a given year, which we all want to go back to, which is live theater, we see 60,000 people in our public audiences and about 40,000 in our student performances. And that's 100,000 people. Yet in a year where we're completely shuttered, we will hit well over a million. And that's not even the number. We're also partnering with WNET and PBS. That doesn't even include the numbers of people we're reaching in rural communities and suburban communities and international communities. So it's so we've learned a lot and, and we've... And we will come out of this stronger and we will continue with the virtual uh, work as well. I think that's a that's definitely a, a trend is that everyone is looking at this sort of hybrid option now, that there's right. always going to be a place for digital and virtual moving forward. But boy, I can't personally, personally, I can't wait to get back to live. Yeah. So <laughs> it's coming soon. Um, Isaac, I know that you, well, first of all, how have you been doing during the whole pandemic thing? Like, what have you been up to? Um, I, I've. Actually, it, I, I, it, things have been shifting on such a major level, you know, for me. Um, and I've been 
trying to kind of navigate what you said, this kind of hybrid idea. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of things have changed for me and I like those changes and a lot of things I want to continue. You know, you were saying you can't wait to get back to live. Yes, I can't wait to get back to live theater. I can't wait to get back to, you know, I guess some live, what, dining or something like that. But I don't know. Mm. I, there are some people that I hope I never see again. You know what I mean? I kind of like, <laughs> I kind of, I, also, I really like spending this much time with my dogs, which is a crazy thing. I just like it. And I, you know what's funny? I think about going back into the world with great excitement and then, of course, at three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and go like, you mean I have to like leave Dean and Kitty? Like, what am I going to do? Right? What are they going to do if we have to go back to, to, to where we were? Right? I have two mutts. One is a Beagle Jack Russell mix and the other is a Border Collie mix. I've just seen a lot of articles about how the dogs are the ones who are going to be suffering the most when life returns to some new normal, no right? Kidding. They're no kidding. Their, they're going to miss their moms no and dads. Kidding. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, it's funny. It's like even kids will be better without so much of their parents, like breathing down their necks and hovering and, you know, uh, helicoptering. Whereas like dogs are mm-hmm. really going to suffer. <laughs> they're going to suffer a lot. Yeah. Um, I do think, you know, that we, We'll learn a lot from this. And, and and like you, Isaac, I also hope that I can remain calm to some degree and not say yes to everything and sort of take more time for myself and be home and, and be present more than I was in the past. And also, there's, there's, you know what else? I have to say this. There's like, um, there's a mastery that we've all, I think, right? Because it has been coming at us very kind of fast and furious for the past number of years, Right all kinds of situations, the pandemic, politics, everything, right? And I think really we have persevered and we have found this way of kind of dealing with this crazy, you know, um, slings and arrows, you know, the crazy, the crazy fortune that has been, and I really feel like I, I can, I can face almost anything now. Is that a funny craze? I do. I feel like that. Hopefully I won't have to, but you know, I feel very centered after all this. Well, I think resilience is an amazing thing. And um, and I think that that also is something, you know, back to what, what you were saying, Russell, that resiliency is something that the kids really learn from the performing arts too, right? Yeah. Getting back up on your feet and, and, you know, like overcoming fears and so forth. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about systemic racism. That is something that has been called to the forefront here, especially in our industry. And um, I just wondered, I I know that New 42 has very strong um, mission statements regarding, um, you know, equity for all. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. We, uh, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, We spend a lot of time thinking about what's on our stages, who's putting the shows on our stages. And there was a study done that revealed the majority of theater that's developed for young people are developed by white creative teams. People on the stages may be actors of color, but the creative teams were not. Um, so we created a program called LabWorks, where we are, we've identified through an application process artists, BIPOC artists, who care deeply about kids and families. And our job now is to sort of help incubate this work to get it out on the stages. What we know is that if a young person is sitting in the audience and sees themselves on stage, there's a far greater connection than if it's someone who doesn't look like them. 
And so our work continues internally, just how are we running the institution? How are we treating one another? How are we listening? And then what are we putting on our stages and what are we putting out there externally? So it's a, it's a constant conversation that we're having both internally and externally. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to ask you both the same question. And I've asked a lot of my guests this question um, it was very hypothetical for a while because we didn't know when Broadway was coming back. But now that we do know a date, I guess today, Hades Town announced that they're going to be back September 2nd. Um, so that's even before the 14th where the other shows are coming back. Um, if you could wave your magic wand and create a new Broadway or uh, make Broadway better when it comes back, um, what would you do? What would you think is, would be important? What, would you, what changes would you like to see in the theater industry? Um, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, that it's become so commoditized, you know, um, most theater that you see has become so incredibly commoditized. Everything is so expensive and so huge, you know, it's almost impossible to kind of have a really good idea and workshop it and mount it and create it without, a massive, massive, um, you know, uh, financial backing involved. I wish that there was some kind of way to make theater a little bit smaller, a little bit more intimate and meaningful in that way. That's what I would do to wave my wand. Because a lot of the houses, a lot of the smaller houses were made for that kind of thing, you know. And so now tickets are so, so, so expensive. It would be great if... I don't know how this could possibly happen. Talk talk to people in Europe, I guess, right? Where they where where, where these things are actually government funded. Sometimes the arts are government mm-hmm. funded. Um, I, I would love for that to happen to Broadway. I would love for Broadway to be more creatively driven than than it is commoditized right now. And you're absolutely right in that other countries have far greater support financially from the government than than we do, which then makes it a private sector industry, which becomes very, very expensive. And if we're talking about access and equity, we have to talk about the price of Broadway tickets. I mean, they, you know, New Victory subsidizes our tickets for 25 years. The tickets have been $2 for students. It's never gone up. We can subsidize that with our fundraising. Broadway doesn't have that mechanism in place. And if you think about what, and, and there are programs within the Broadway community that are trying to address it, but they can only do so much because of how expensive it is to put on a show, to produce a show, and then try and recoup your, your investment. Um, but ticket price is a huge barrier for many of our families. 
Yeah, something a lot of people have commented on. Um, you know, speaking of, of fundraising, I wondered, Russell, can you elaborate a little bit on how New 42 participates in philanthropy? Sure. Well, we are, you know, as a nonprofit, we are um, very much in need of, you know, individual donors, foundations, corporations, government support. Um, so it's a combination of, of all of those things. Um, we have great support from the foundations here. Um, we have our board, which is terrific and very supportive of our work. And then we are very, you know, we, we try and find individuals who care about this work, care about young people, care about education, and understand that the arts are far greater than just putting on a play or a dance performance or, you know, painting a picture. They, they understand deeply the importance of the arts, and, and many of them support us financially. But we could not do our work. Um, we are the largest provider of art, performing arts to the New York City public schools. Because of the incredible cuts to the budget this year, our board, along with our funders, um, we said that every pro any teacher that wanted to work with New Victory this year would do so free of charge. So we are underwriting that at around $2 million. We've pledged it for this year, and most likely we will do the same pledge next year. That's a big lift for a nonprofit, um, especially in this time. And so we couldn't do this work without our supporters. That's really impressive. I want to talk a lot about now, um, I want to talk about charity and the idea of giving back and philanthropy. and. Um, you know, Isaac, I, I want to start with you. You've been involved in so many philanthropic causes throughout your career. And I obviously arts education is very important to you. Um, and I just wondered, you know, what motivates you and, you know, when you are also looking at other charities besides arts education, like how do you get involved? How do you, how does that happen? Is it something where you think, um, oh, I really feel passionate about this cause, so I'm going to do something? Or do people come to you? How what what happens? And how do you decide? Well, I mean, it starts it starts with you know with I guess who you are, the DNA of who you are, and and as we spoke about earlier, you know, I really identify as an artist first, right? And, 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 and doing that, like working in so many different mediums, right? What it ends up becoming is this kind of need to reach out and to relieve strife or something or help in some way. Like I think, I know that sounds very kind of, again, Pollyanna-ish or something or up with people or something, but you know, as an artist, you kind of want to make a difference and at least communicate and if not help then 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 shake things up and change things you know so that's the ultimate goal you end up saying like well okay what if it's not about me for a minute what what if it's about like what if it's not about me personally but me as a as a as a, as a larger entity like really trying to do what i can in the world just you know, um, directly instead of metaphorically, right? And and then you go, yeah. And of course, I, you know, I'm not madly rich. I can't just go around kind of showering my favorite charities with tons and tons of money. So if I if I get involved with something, that's because I really want to be physically active in helping. You know, and 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 for years I'd been on different boards, and I felt very kind of. Um, like they were the right causes, but I've never felt more kind of at home, even in the first month as I, as I do at the at new 42, because it is something that when I literally, when I sit at bo the board meetings, I, I, I listen with such, because it's, it's, a, it's really, really important subject to me. 
it's probably, I would say, like the most important subject to me personally. And so like after years of being sort of right in, in, in an organization and sort of good and sort of and really trying to help and do as much as I can, I actually weirdly just understand a lot of the mission. So it makes it just easier for me to be in it and involved. What advice would you give people, listeners to this podcast, for example, um, about how to become more philanthropic people, how to give back or, or do good or be of service? I always think that if you find the thing that you're passionate about, then nothing will stop you, you know, because I don't think it's just about money. Of course, you know, it's really important, the money thing, you know, um, but I think that if you have the passion for something, it will find, it's like water meeting a level, you know. And Russell, what about you? Did you grow up in a family that was a sort of philanthropic family? Did you, did you learn that, you know, when you were younger? Is that something that came to you later in life? Yeah, I did grow up uh, in a family that thought a lot about philanthropy. Um, we had, and we actually have it with our daughter, which is you have a piggy bank that you can spend, a piggy bank that you can save, and a piggy bank that you have to give. Mm. And so that's that's how I grew up. It's sort of a part of the Jewish, I mean, I grew up in a, not a Orthodox family, but in a, in a Jewish family where giving back was very important. And I, I try and convey that to, to my daughter as well. Um, you know, the idea that we're all privileged, you know, you know, on this, you know, on this call, right? And, mm -hmm. and what can we do um, for those who just were born under, you know, with different circumstances? I, I can't imagine a life where philanthropy isn't a part of who makes you human, what makes you human. Yeah, well said. And yes, the three of us, um, well, we all come from a Jewish background. So we all have like the whole concept of doing a mitzvah, right? And and doing good. So I think that that a lot of people said in this podcast, um, other guests have said that they grew up with it, whether it was through their religion or their upbringing. Um, and then other people said that they didn't have that at all, but they wanted to do that when they, you know, became more successful. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the summer and moving forward and future, which sounds really, um, which sounds good right now. Um, and I know that there's some cool programming coming for the summer from New 42. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what we have to look forward to. We're working in our extensive outdoor programs with summer schools and camps. Um, and we'll be doing what we're calling dance jams, where we're sending dancers and teaching artists out to schools so the kids can get out of the building outside and experience something, you know, an, an art, something you know, that they can see and they can engage with. Our teaching artists are a big part of our work. A, a teaching artist is an artist and a translator. So it is someone who, if you're uncomfortable moving or if you're uncomfortable acting, their job is to help, you know, bring you into that work and to engage with that work. And so all summer long, we'll be doing a series of you know, professional dancers partnered with teaching artists to really expose and engage kids in New York City, because uh, it can be a very hot, long summer right. if you don't have access to a summer house or, you know, for those kids who were here all summer long, we want to make sure that they have access to, to strong and, and quality art. I, and, you know, the victory is run by young people, which is such, and I can take no credit for it because it started 25 years ago when the victory opened, uh, which is this incredible program um, where we have 75 youth. Uh, we've paid for, I think we cover something like 36,000 hours of paid employment 
for young people in New York City, they, they need employment. So we mm-hmm. needed to come up with a way to pay them in order to engage them. And they're running our theaters. They, they are the ushers. They do the concessions. They do front of house. And so to have everyone back is, I just, I can't wait. And I guess, I guess everybody will just figure out what the safety procedures are once we're closer to that time, right? Well, we know well, 12 and up is you know, vaccinated now. And, and I think the idea is there'll be a sort of Excelsior fast pass. If you're vaccinated, you get right in and then mm. the, you'll have a negative test or we could potentially have rapid testing on site. Uh, but that's, that's the idea that we'll be open safely, obviously. That's exciting. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you one more question, both of you. Um, and we, we started talking about just how important the arts were in your childhood. And um, I wanted to ask you about who was your favorite arts teacher from your childhood and what impact did they have on your life and your career? And, and I bring this up because when I was working at the Broadway League and the Tony Awards, we developed um, a Tony Award for an arts educator. Uh, and it was truly, I think, the thing I'm most proud of in, in my career. And the submissions that we used to get of these kids nominating their teachers um, was so amazing. And I know for myself, it made a huge difference as well. Um, and I remember Mr. Lachey from Emerson Junior High here in LA. Um, so I just wanted to ask both of you that question. Russell, I want to start with you. Who was, who was your mentor? I, I'm fortunate to say I've had you know, a fair number of you know, good excellent teachers in my life. But the one that stands out was as just as I was graduating high school, I grew up in New York, I went to high school in San Francisco. And I was at the American Conservatory Theater, ACT. And my acting teacher was an actress named uh, Frankie Tacker. And Frankie had a big television career, but teaching was always very important to her. And she would always say, as an actor, one of the things that um, sort of the muscle you're building is empathy. And that she goes, what you have to remember is that everybody has a story. And, you know, I was 16. I was like, like, what, I don't know. What does that mean? You know, I didn't quite know. And then I, you know, I had my circle of friends and if I wasn't friendly with, you know, it's sort of at a very early part of my life triggered something about, well, that's interesting. Everyone has. And so when I meet people, it really, it is something that crosses my mind every time I meet someone especially if it's someone that maybe I don't connect with right away. I think to myself, huh, I wonder what their story, like what is their story that I don't know? And so Frankie was saying that in to be an actor that you have to understand people's stories. But I think that had such great resonance to me as a, as a person to, to spend my life thinking about people's stories. How about you, Isaac? Well, um, you know, I began the podcast talking about my teacher, Sheila Kanowitz, who mm-hmm. noticed that I was in the wrong spot and helped me audition and helped me get into performing arts high school. So she was the most important figure in my mm-hmm. life, I think, bar none. But if you ask me who my favorite arts teachers or my favorite arts teacher was, I mean, I, I, at Performing Arts, it was just this fantastic staff of, it was kind of like this, Sondheim musical Hmm. or something of like these erudite, witty, sarcastic, beautiful looking people who taught acting and dance and voice and diction, et cetera. And there was one teacher that I loved very much called Ruth L. Kohler. I'm not sure if she's still with us, but she was so great looking, you know, and she was, she was a great acting teacher, 
And I wasn't in her class and it made me so mad. You know, I took, I was in her voice and diction class and she was a great voice and diction teacher, but she was a really great. But then I had this wonderful teacher. So I had this kind of crush on Ruth L. Kohler. But Hmm. then I finally, in my senior year of performing arts, I had a wonderful teacher called Sandy Kazan. And she is, she was so funny. And so she was more contemporary with us. She was a little bit younger than the rest of the staff. And she I remember she directed me in in a scene from The American Dream, you know, that play by Edward Mm Albee. And she just kept saying these hilarious things to me. And I think for me, like humor is the most important facility in teaching. If something is funny and happy and bright, you have a better chance of getting through to like a student, you know. And I think teaching humor is the most important thing in the world, teaching it and just insisting on it you know like it doesn't have to be screamingly funny but there has to be a levity to things you know even even the most tragic even the most tragic teachings or learnings or whatever have to be like light yeah and people use that humor as a coping mechanism with a lot of things that happen that are not so good so i humor is so important um you know you bring up you know empathy and and i just want to talk about that because that word is just it's so important right now, particularly in this time period. And I just wondered, you know, what is what does empathy mean to each of you? I mean, people use that word all the time now. And I just, you know, I was thinking about the word this weekend. And when you brought it up, Russell, it just made me think even more. Um, and, you know, I, I watch the news now and I cry. And somebody said, oh, you're such an empathetic person. But you know, I was trying to really understand, like, what does this mean? Like, what does this word really mean? And and how can we take that word and make the world, you know, a better place? And teaching empathy to children, I think, was a really important concept. How do you do that? Well, I think the, the easy answer there is the theater. Right? I think right. the idea to embody another character and understand why that character ma- makes the kinds of decisions that he or she makes is is empathy, right? I think what it gives our young people is that just that moment when you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person, or if you see someone with mental illness, or you see someone that's different from you, just that second when you think, what that must be like, right? What, and then that, I think that gets integrated in some way that's very different than just having your blinders on. And I have great hope for a post-pandemic world in that I think there is great empathy out there. I think we've seen the lack of access and equity with COVID. We've mm-hmm. seen the, the lack of fair treatment and, and accessibility to the vaccine, to treatment over the last 15 months. And I think because it's affected everyone, whereas something as tragic as September 11th had huge impact here and obviously global um, reach, but in a very different way. This is what we have, what we're in is something that's affected everyone around the world. And, and all of a sudden now we have much more in common than I think people had before, even though I, one would argue we have a lot more in common than people realize. So I think the, 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 the spotlight on what we have just experienced combined with any kind of experience in the art. I mean, it's, you know, to your point about you cry when you listen to the news, you see people in front of paintings just weeping or going to theater. It's, it just, it connects to you in a way that um, the arts connect to people in a way that, I think other, certainly other other academic subjects don't. And I think that leads to just greater empathy, knowing that 
people just have different experiences. It's what my teacher Frankie Tacker taught me. You know, it's just take that minute to understand that there's difference. Isaac, I'm going to give you the last word. Well, you know, I I, I do think this is uh, an important kind of um, uh, 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 distinction that I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Like empathy, emotional empathy is, is is a really important thing. But if in fact empathy is an emotion, you sort of can't teach it. I mean, you know, earlier someone said, how do you walk through this and not feel empathy for this or that? But, you know, there are people who are born without this gene. They're just people who walk through it and do not feel it and are, you know, not appreciative of their human, other human beings. And so like, even more important than teaching empathy as an emotion, because I don't really believe you can teach it as an emotion. I think you can demand action. You can demand, like, especially in the social justice thing, I'm not sure you can teach people not to be racist, right? I, I, I'm not sure if they're racist, I don't know what you can do, but you can demand, you know, um, uh, uh, opportunities and, you know, laws to be put into place that can make it, you know, sort of a, a, a better place to live. Like, I think more than trying, more than worrying about whether people are going to be empathetic or something, it's important to just go like, okay, well, here are the basic things that you cannot do in this world. You know, just here are the laws. It's very important. You know what I mean? That's, that, that's, that's my thing about it. Right. right. So it's sort of the action and the and the emotion, you know, together. That's if, right. The action, the action and the emotion. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, this has been so great to talk to both of you. And um, I'm a huge, huge supporter of arts education. And um, I was really looking forward to talking to both of you about this podcast and about this topic. Um, and I feel like this is why I bring in guests because they are so much more eloquent than I could ever be. So both of you have been so generous in sharing your, your thoughts, your wisdom, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being part of the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals with Brittany Bigelow and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPM, Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiance, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast, and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.